You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Do you remember the first time that your parents left you at home alone when they went out to eat dinner or maybe to grab a movie? I don't know how old you were, maybe 11, maybe 12, maybe age 13. There's probably a few of you, your parents should not have left you on your own until you were 25, but that's a whole nother story. As a kid, remember right when your parents left, you had so much confidence. In fact, you were kind of happy to have the house to yourself. But then, then you began to hear every creak in the house. And when you looked at the shadows in the hallway, the shadows kind of seemed to move every now and then. And a lightning storm, of course, came while your parents were gone. And every TV station you turned to was a story about an axe murderer or a criminal on the loose or, or a kidnapper. Then all of a sudden, the, the fear was, was magnified. The uncertainty w- was set for you, and you could not wait for your parents to come home. You could not wait for them to return. And then finally, they came home. Finally, they returned. And of course, the, the lightning storm was, was gone all the darkness began to, to be light, it seemed, again. All the monsters went back into hiding, and it just felt so good. You felt so safe because your parents had come home. I think that is what we're going to experience when Jesus cracks open the eastern sky and comes riding on the clouds, when he returns, when he comes to take us home, I think that all of the darkness will turn to light. I think all of our fears will melt into peace and all of the uncertainty will become just as set as his name and his character. Would you go with me this morning to the book of 2 Thessalonians? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's get there together to see that the return of Jesus one day steadies our faith this day, brings stability to our lives this day. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 will begin in verse 1. If you're relatively new to the Bible, of course I encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word. 2 Thessalonians is the very middle book of the New Testament. It's the 14th book. There's 13 books before it and 13 books after it. It's a short little book, probably just one page in your Bible. And let's begin at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 together this morning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Silvanus, that's just the Romanized name of, of, of Silas. So we have Paul and Silas and, and Timothy. These three are writing to the church there in Thessalonica, to the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, these three men had been to Thessalonica together before, in fact, within probably 18 months of the writing of this letter. Uh, Paul and Silas had spent just three Sundays there. In fact, it only took three Sundays for, for Paul to stir up some trouble and for them to have to leave town in the middle of the night to head to Berea. So Paul and Silas, they have to sneak out of town, but they leave poor young Timothy there in charge. But this young, stout leader led well. He led wisely. And the church there at Thessalonia, they, they began to grow. They began to prosper. So verse one, Paul and and Silas and Timothy to the church at the Thessalonians in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. This church was in God. This church was in Christ. What security the people of God have knowing that we we are held by God's hand, knowing that we are hidden in Christ. 
So Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. The year is probably 53 AD, maybe the very end of 52 AD. And so the resurrection of Christ has just been 18 or 19 years previous to this. This is one of the first letters written in the, in the New Testament. And they say, grace, in verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very familiar opening salutation from Paul as he writes to different churches. Grace and peace. I believe that's a very purposeful order. In fact, almost every time you see Paul writing that opening greeting to the churches, he says in that order, grace and peace. Why is that? I believe that's with great intentionality because you'll never have the peace of God until first you embrace and live in the grace of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three and verse four, let's look at this together. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all of your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul is saying here in, in verse three, we we see, we know about your faith that is growing. He says here in verse three, the love of every one of you is on the increase. This was not 20% of the people doing the loving or 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. He is saying every one of you, your love is growing, it is maturing. Your faith is growing, your faith is maturing. And we're out there talking about you, he says. We're telling other churches about you in verse four. We're telling the other churches that belong to God about your steadfastness about the steadiness of your faith, how your faith is steady even in the middle of unstable times. We're telling everybody about your faith during these difficult days, during this suffering, or as he mentions here, during these afflictions that you are enduring. Verse five, this is evidence. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Look at verse five, the first word there, this. What is this referring to? The, this is referring back to verse four, the word affliction, or the very end of verse five, the word suffering. And so Paul is saying here, this affliction that you have, that this suffering that you're going through, it is from God to sanctify you. Now this is gonna mess up some of your theologies this morning, especially if you've been duped by the prosperity gospel. Because verse five is saying here, it is God who has allowed or even brought this affliction, this suffering. It is from God to sanctify his people. Therefore, it's called right here in verse five, righteous judgment. The righteous judgment of God, even in his people and over his people, is to serve as a refiner's fire to purify his people. So why? That we might be counted as worthy, Paul says. So Paul is giving a news flash here. All these things that you're enduring, all these afflictions, even all the suffering that is around you, God is allowing these things to happen as righteous judgment that you might be counted as worthy. Who leaves during judgment? Those who truly do not belong to Christ. It moves out, it weeds out those who are not truly children of God, those who are not truly daughters of God and sons of God. This judgment is coming so that those who are in Christ, surely in Christ, certainly in Christ, they may be, may be counted as worthy. Verse six, 
since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Look at verse six. The word he uses here is God considers it just, which is also the word for right, or God considers it fair in his economy to give trouble to those who trouble you. In other words, God is the great equalizer. And perhaps often not on our timetable and often not within our own judicial system in our nation, God is always, he says, he's always going to judge rightly. I will bring trouble, God says, to those who trouble you. Peter reminds us that the same posture of heart that Christ had as he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, you see on your screen, when they hurled their insults at him, meaning Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he, Jesus, suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he, Jesus, entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 8 with me. Chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians Verse seven, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So God also considers it just. Remember the word just from verse six, what is right, what is fair in the economy of God. Verse seven says God also considers it fair, right in his economy. It considers it just to bring, what's the word in verse seven? Relief. Uh, in, in Greek, it's the word um, onesis. Onesis also means freedom or, or rest or peace. So not only does God think it's just, verse six, to bring trouble to those who trouble you, God also knows it to be true, knows it to be just, knows it to be fair, knows it to be right in his economy, to bring freedom and rest to those who are struggling, to bring this relief to those who are going through suffering, or again, to use the word we see right here, the word afflicted. The question, Highland, and friends, family, is this, when is this gonna happen? When will there be freedom? When will there be this relief? When will there be rest in our world and rest in our hearts? The question is, God, when is this going to happen? When will there be justice in our nation? When will there be rest in our hearts? When will the wicked pay? When will the righteous find relief from this world? And we see the answer right here in verse seven. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. This is why we long for that day. This is why we long for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we long for this day, because it's on that day that we will find freedom, we will find rest, we will find relief. Verse seven and verse eight, hear this, he will come. Christ will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance. That's really different from the first time he came. When he comes again, when Jesus returns, he is not coming as a cooing baby. When Jesus returns, it will not be a silent night. All will not be calm. All will not be bright. Well, except for the, the flaming fire. 
When Jesus comes, he's gonna come in might, surrounded by the host, the armies around him. He is coming to do battle, battle against injustice and battle against the war-torn effects of sin in our lives and in this world. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming to play around. And on that day, injustices will be correctly judged. And on that day, all the wrongs will be righted. On that day, a great light will shine on the things that were done in darkness. So what do we do until that day? This does not mean, brothers and sisters, that we remain silent in these present days as Christ followers. No, Christians, really, we should be during these days on the forefront, the front lines of justice, of serving, of of caring. We should be on the front lines of racial reconciliation. Even though there's a judgment day coming, Christians should still be in this present day on the front line of calling for justice and calling sin, sin. So when senior adults or children are in an abusive situation or there's abuse in their life or abuse in their home, Christians, we speak up, we speak out, we do something. When Christians discover that there are hungry families in the neighborhood or kids that need to be fostered or or the poor that need advocacy, it should be Christians who are the very first to, to speak up and to stand up and to foster and to feed and to fight for the marginalized. Because we believe life is such a gift from God and we see it taken from the womb, or life taken from a young African-American man named Ahmad on the streets of Glynn County, Georgia, it should be Christians who are the very first to stand up, to speak up. I'll put it this way, on that day, Jesus will right all wrongs for all time, but until then, Christians must daily fight all wrongs in our time. We're not just waiting for that judgment day. That will be a final judgment, a just judgment, a complete judgment. But until that day, Christians, we also are to speak up for justice today. We are to to push for and pray for an end to racism. We are to push for and to pray for an end to abortion. We are to push for and to pray for an end to injustice. We are to pray for and to push for an end to hunger. We are to pray for and to push for an end to abuse. We are to pray for and to push for an end to violence. Just because the day of Christ is coming does not mean that we just become casual observers to injustice around us because if we just become casual observers to injustice everywhere, we become complicit to that injustice. We can't just sit back and sip from our privilege and our comfort while there's still injustice and hurt and even death in our nation and in our world. On that day, Jesus will right all wrongs for all time. But until then, brothers and sisters, we must fight all wrongs in our time. What of those who do not believe in Jesus? What about those who refuse to know God? What about those who constantly rebel against the gospel of Jesus and push back the gospel of Jesus? And I know this is where the online viewership will begin to drop. Look at verse nine. 
they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Verse nine gives us the answer. It's the very end of verse eight is telling us who, they're, who Paul is talking about. Those who do not believe, those who refuse to know God, those who push back on the gospel of Christ, what of those, verse nine says, eternal destruction. And that's not the bad part. Verse nine says that those who push back, who rebel on God and and the the goodness of God and the gospel of Christ, look what it says here in, in verse nine. They are separated from one, his presence, two, his glory, three, his might. This must mean that now everyone on the face of the earth is presently living off of his glory and off of his presence and off of his might. You see, hell is the absence of his comforting presence. Hell is the absence of his beautiful glory. Hell is the absence of his capable might. C.S. Lewis wrote in the astoundingly profound book, The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell Choose it. No soul that seriously and constantly desires God will miss him. Hell is for people who prefer something to him and will insist on keeping it even at the price of eternal misery. You see, the judgment day of God is absolutely just. If you want nearness to God, you'll have it forever. You want farness from God, you will have it forever. And some say that the the judgment day is such a horrible thing. I'll tell you what's truly horrible is the absence of a judgment day. There was no need for our salvation. There was no need for for our rescue if there is no judgment day. Jesus died on, on a horrific, brutal, bloody cross for no reason if there is no judgment day. But what of those who do believe in Christ? What about all the daughters of God and the sons of God who are in Christ Jesus? What what of us, verse 10? When he comes, when Christ comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Look at verse 10. What of those who believe in Christ? It's not us glorifying him. Now, we will do that, but listen, it is also, we see here in verse 10, God glorifying himself in us. God glorifying himself in the saints, as Paul writes here in verse 10. Perhaps this is what Paul also was talking about when he wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verse, 7, uh, verse 27, when he says, Christ in us, the very hope of glory, because verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 1 says, when he comes, he will glorify himself in us. And what will we do, Christians, when he comes? Look at verse 10. We will marvel. We will stand amazed. We will be astonished. We will stand in awe. We will stand in wonder. In other words, we will not be able to keep our eyes off of him. Let that steady your faith in an unsteady time, in this present age in which we live, 
there's so much instability. Let this steady your heart and your faith today. There is coming a day when Jesus comes and all we'll do is look at him. We will marvel. We'll be amazed. We'll be astounded when he comes to take us home. We will look at this Jesus who is to be treasured, who is so radiant, who is so beautiful. The end of this chapter, verse 11, verse 12. So to this end, for that day of the glorious appearing of of Christ to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christian, we're in the middle of a battle we will not lose. There is already an obituary written for death. So how are we to live in these present days? I think God's word gives us a very clear answer here in in verse 11 especially. We need to live lives that are worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve that the Spirit has given us, every determination for good, to to do the right thing, to to show goodness to others, to to be good in, in the reflection of God's goodness toward us. Resolve for good in every work of faith by his power. So let me put 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 into this one sentence. When Jesus comes, all will be made new. Creation will be redeemed. The unjust and injustice will be judged and believers we will be home forever so let this steady and unsteady heart today let this breathe peace into an anxious heart today let that settle tightly into your soul when he comes all will be made new And Jesus is the centerpiece of this all. He's the hero of this all. We will behold him and we will marvel at our Savior. So even so, O Lord, quickly come. Would you bow your heart and bow your head with me, please, as we pray together? Father, we long for that day when you will judge rightly. Your judgment will be accurate. Your judgment will be precise. You will not guess at your judgment on that day. And God, this steadies our faith during very anxious times, very, during very unsteady times, and very unstable times, this steadies us. Jesus, knowing that you are coming, with your angels and there'll be fire and there'll be judgment and all who long for your nearness and all who have called upon the name of your son for salvation will will be taken home. You will glorify yourself in us 
we will be your bride, Jesus. And you'll take us home to enjoy that wedding feast. We will marvel at you. We will not be able to take our eyes off of you. How radiant, how beautiful, how treasured, Jesus, you are. We praise you today. Not only are you the king, you are our soon returning king. It's in that name that we joyfully and with great faith pray to the Father together. Amen.